Good morning. It is my privilege this morning to be able to bring you the word. I just want to start by saying that it's the most blessed, challenging week, uh, the, the, the opportunities I get to preach. Um, is a very challenging week because it's a lot of extra time on top of work and family. But at the same time, for all different types of challenging weeks I may have, challenging weeks at work or challenging weeks just because there are lots of things going on, whatever it might be, there's so much blessing out of it. Um, I gain so much from being able to have this extra time focused in the Word and studying a passage. Um, and uh, I just, my prayer is just that some of the, the truths and knowledge that I've learned that I will be able to, um, to communicate that and that you can see that as well um, because I know that I get more benefit than any of you get from, from the study I've had. So I just hope that, you, um, that the Lord blesses the words and that you're able to take from, uh, from what I've studied this week. So... We're studying the Ten Commandments for those of you who uh, are joining us for the first time or, or maybe haven't been here for a few weeks. Um, so we are this morning uh, studying the uh, fourth commandment, which is regarding the Sabbath. But before we actually dive into the, the, the text and the commandment uh, itself, I want to make sure that we all have a good understanding of the context around this. Now, we're having, obviously, many weeks uh, around the Ten Commandments, and so the context for the Ten Commandments in, in the large part is, is the same, um, but I still want to make sure that we all have an understanding that we can see um, what the historical context and the context of the Scripture around provides for the passage that we're studying. So... We're going to kind of pretend here that we're hopping on our, uh, our, our Etihad plane because what we're going to do is we're going to start with like a 30,000 foot view and take a very high level view and then we're going to kind of just uh, circle down into, into this passage we're looking at. So we're pretty early in the Bible in Exodus, so we can actually start from the beginning. And the, the context that we have, we've had the creation in the beginning of Genesis when God created the world, which we'll actually be coming back to today, as you might imagine. And then... There was the fall when Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, and that brought sin uh, in, into, uh, into the human race and into mankind. Um, many years later, God brought a flood because of the pervasive sin that had happened and wiped out everyone except for Noah and his family. And um, after that, God made a covenant with Noah uh, to, to not bring a flood again to, to destroy all life. And then we start to see the patriarchs of the Bible that we read about so often, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course, God made covenants with Abraham as well. Um, and what we begin to see now as we kind of start our descent uh, into Exodus is some of these promises being revealed, or, or sorry, uh, realized. So the covenant to to Abraham, there was, um, we're seeing that now in the freedom from the Egyptian, Egyptian bondage, so the Exodus, which is what has led up to where we're at in the Ten Commandments, the first part of Exodus. Um, so we're seeing freedom from the Egyptian bondage, which the Lord um, promised to Abraham. And they're now setting out for the promised land, which he had also, um, that's why it's called the promised land, right? Because he promised that to Abraham. So now as we get really fully into the book of Exodus and just look at, at what is in Exodus, I already mentioned that the first part has, uh, has to do with the Exodus itself, which is, um, which is a redemption from bondage, the bondage of slavery, to look at it in the physical sense. Um, and it's interesting that God chose to do this via a chosen mediator, who is Moses. So he selected Moses to be the, the leader and to be the mediator between God and his people. Um, and to bring them out of Egypt. This is a very interesting and relevant point because this is pointing forward to the eventual salvation or redemption that we have in Christ, um, which is this, he's the supreme mediator. So in the same way, what, what he did with Moses is actually a reflection or a, a foreshadowing, essentially, of what was going to happen um, with Christ um, being our mediator to, to redeem us um, from the bondage of sin instead of the bondage of slavery. It's actually a bondage of slavery to sin. 
And then we move into the part we're going to be studying today, which after he brings them out, he brings them to Mount Sinai and he consecrates them in covenant, basically um, marking them out for his services, his people. And then after uh, this, through in the, the remaining part of the book of Exodus, is actually basically a theology of worship. And he teaches the people about how they should be worshiping. Um, So now just to dive down, getting very close as we kind of come in for our landing, looking at the chapter before the Ten Commandments is the preparation for the covenant, basically where God tells Moses that he's going to do this covenant. Moses goes back and tells the people that they're going, um, that God um, wants to make a covenant with them, and the people say, um, uh, we will, to to the the, the things that he's outlined initially. And then um, we get into the Ten Commandments, which the Ten Commandments are actually... um, uh, it's in the in the Hebrew. It actually isn't commandment. It's the ten words or the ten sayings, um, which it's, so it's also called the Decalogue. Deca meaning ten, and it's, what this is, the ten commandments are actually. Um, not the only Ten Commandments God gives, but these Ten Commandments or Ten Guiding Rules or Principles actually are what, in the rest of Exodus, what he, what he goes on to do is to present what's called, they call the Book of the Covenant, but essentially that's a practical application of the principles of the Ten Covenants. So he gives these ten all-encompassing commandments that we're studying, and then throughout the rest of the Book of Exodus, he actually goes on to explain the practical application of those, or uh, um, some people like to also call those additional commandments or laws, um, but they're all essentially can roll up or be encapsulated into the Ten Commandments. So, uh, with, with that uh, being said, and kind of seeing how we come into the Ten Commandments and what is in the Scripture round, let us go ahead and read today's passage, which is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word that we have just read. I thank you for the opportunity for us to get to explore the truths um, behind this scripture and the meaning that you had for it in those times and that the meaning that you still have for it for us today through through this passage, Lord. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us because of knowing your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to take a moment and actually just raise this up a little. All right. Okay, so we've got our scripture here that has to do with the fourth commandment having to do with, uh, with, um, with the Sabbath. So I want to start off just by giving a couple definitions to make sure we have an understanding of a couple of the key words that are, that are repeated um, here in this passage. So the first one is the word Sabbath, which we hear frequently. That's the main topic of our discussion. So the Hebrew word for this is Shabbat, and it actually means cessation. So as in to cease, to stop. So that's what the word um, Sabbath would actually translate to is actually meaning to cease or to stop. The other word um, I just want to make sure we have a definition of is holy, which is a word we hear a lot, we use a lot, but, but maybe we don't always necessarily understand what it means. So it's, it means moral and ethical perfection. That's especially what you would get if you look in like a dictionary uh, um, for what it would mean. Um, but at the same time, um, the Hebrew word denotes that which is set apart for divine service. So um, to be holy, it means that God has set something apart for his service. So he can uh, make people holy, he can make um, objects holy, anything that he chooses to set apart for his divine service. All right, so now I want to move into one piece here that uh, is a little interesting and, and, and don't, let, don't let this scare you. Um, but 
I want to talk about the structure of this passage, um, which is actually a chiastic structure, which is kind of a weird word that we never hear. Um, chiastic, actually, chi means the letter X um, from the Greek, and so that is actually what, um, uh, where, what it comes from. And the reason that it has the name chiastic, um, I'll explain in just a moment. So a chiastic structure is a literary device often involving symmetry in the form of inverted parallelism. So we have something that, that aligns itself, but rather than going the same direction, it actually is going the opposite direction while it's in parallel. So the reason I want to point this out, it's, it's not that we have to know this to understand the text, but it's good to know this because it helps us understand um, how it was written and what the intentions were. So the reason something would be written in this way, it's used in a couple manners. It's used to uh, draw attention to the text. It's used to encourage careful consideration of the relationship between these repeated phrases. And it's also can be used as a mnemonic device, which is a way of remembering something. Back in the Old Testament times, it was, there was an oral tradition. They, you know, they, they memorized lots of scripture, and mnemonic devices would actually help with ways of memorization. So, as you can see up here, let me move to make sure everyone can see this all the way. Um, all I mean by this, uh, this chiastic structure is, if we break the verse down, so this is our exact passage, verses 8 to 11, it actually reflects itself. So if we start looking at the, the very first part and the very last part, that are both labeled A, they're almost the same. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. We move in one layer to the, to the second part from the beginning and the second part from the end. And again, there's, a, there's a, a, a reflection. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And at the end, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. And then finally, in the middle, this part is sandwiched in. It's not reflected, but this is where we get some of our detail. On it, you should not do any work, and explains who should not do any work. So I just want you to see this, and what this does is it actually causes our minds sometimes to, to, um, uh, to, to notice that there is a repeat, and it emphasizes to us what is here in the text. Okay, so let's move on and talk about some of the, the highlights of this, of this text. Um, so first of all, I just want to talk about the type of commandment. This is, had been discussed in the, in, the, in the very first week when Gareth preached on kind of an intro to the Ten Commandments on there being uh, essentially vertical and horizontal commandments. So the first four commandments are vertical commandments, um, which means they're in relation, our, our relationship with God, where then the horizontal commandments are in relationship with each other. So this is the last of the vertical uh, commandments that relates us to God. And the commandments are all essentially either telling you to do something or not to do something. This one is a little bit of an interesting mix because it, it starts out as a, um, as a positive commandment because it says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So it's telling you to do something, to remember. But then once we get inside it a little bit, we also see um, a negative inclusion in here where we shouldn't do something. So once we get uh, into it, then it says uh, in the middle of verse 10, on it you shall not do any work. So we actually have this, uh, this negative part, a do not, wrapped inside of what we should do in remembering the Sabbath. Um, the outline of, of this, these four verses, um, I actually think breaks down ideally into three, to three components. First, we see a command. So the command being verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then we see a how, so, uh, or sorry, an explanation. So an explanation of what we're supposed to do to keep it. So this talks about our six days of labor, the seventh day of rest, and on that seventh day, who should not be doing any work. And then finally, in verse 11, we see God's motive for doing this. So we see that the, the reason behind it is because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. So he blessed it and made it holy. So we have a command, we have an explanation of how we're supposed to live out that command, and then we have the, the motive for it. Um, and, and just kind of in a summary, you could also, another way to break this down, another potential outline would be what, how, and why. So what are we supposed to do? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How are we to do it? By keeping the seventh day as a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And why? 
again, because in six days the Lord made everything and he rested on the seventh day. So one other piece when we look at this, just kind of initially when we first say, what is it that we can, we can draw out of this at a high level? Um, you may often see these, these uh, well, regularly you would see these questions in your home group study guides, is what does this passage reveal about God and what does it reveal about man? So the first thing um, to, to say, what does it reveal about God? Well, we see in here he's the creator. His, his motive is because of his creation. That's why he's giving us this Sabbath commandment. So we can see that it, it gives us the, the nature of God as the creator. Um, it also tells us that the Sabbath is important to him because he's giving us this commandment about resting on the Sabbath, which we'll explore as we continue to go in why he's doing that. But so we can see that it's important to him. If it wasn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't give us um, a, such a commandment. And then finally, a portion of our time belongs to him. So this kind of flows out of that. What he wants us to do on the Sabbath is to take time away from everything else um, and because he, a portion of our time goes back to him, just like a portion of our money, which is God's money, goes back to him. So we see this in... In lots of aspects of our lives that we should be, um, um, we should be giving back to God, whether it's time, money, etc. And what does this reveal about man? Well, it doesn't specifically say anything about man, but what we could draw from this is that we have a tendency to neglect God. If we didn't, then he wouldn't need to give us a commandment to, um, to keep the Sabbath holy and to, to set that apart if we were already doing that on a regular basis. So this, this tells us that our nature would be not to do that. All right, so now we're going to move in um, a little bit deeper into the text and, and go through each of these, the, the outline that I'm using, which is the command, the explanation, and the motive, the three ways that this, this passage breaks down. We're actually going to start from the back end. We're going to start with the motive, and then we're going to jump to the front and work through. The reason I want to start here is this is really the basis for it all, right? God's motive. Why is he giving us this commandment? This, this, is, this is the basis for it. So, this is where we reflect back to the creation, because that's what this passage, which, what the verse 11 says, is that for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and he rested on the seventh day. So if we look back uh, to the creation story, which takes place in Genesis 1 um, and through the first three verses of, of Genesis 2, we're actually going to look at um, the, that part in Genesis 2 because he's done his, his six days of creation in Genesis 1, and then the beginning of Genesis 2 is the, is the seventh day where God rests. So, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And here's what we have up here. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, again, I'm going to come back to what the, what the Hebrew underlying this is. So the Hebrew verb that's translated as rested or ceased so it is, is the origin of the noun Sabbath. So again, we already kind of talked about what, what, what Sabbath means. So just pointing back again that here, this where we see rested or ceased um, is the origin of the, of the noun Sabbath. So these are actually related. So even though the word Sabbath is not introduced here, the, it's, it has the same root um, from the word rested that's used. Um, also, most of our translations we see use the word rested, um, which I think can tend to indicate weariness. Um, you rest because you're tired. That's what you often think of. Um, one of the other ways to translate the word is ceased, which I think employs a little bit better of an idea um, because this indicates a little bit more when you see something, you stop. It's usually more of a voluntary action. So um, this is actually what God did on the seventh day. He did not stop to rest because he was tired from his creation. He actually ceased because as we see in verse one, uh, in, in Genesis 2.1, um, all of his work was completed. Everything that he had wanted to create, create was finished and it was good. So he was done and so he ceased. So it was voluntary. And so this is also what should be happening with us. We should not be taking our, our Sabbath because we're tired. We should be taking it out of a reason to voluntarily stop and, um, and, and spend time with God and focused on God. Um, also, just one more interesting uh, parallel here between our commandment in Exodus and the creation story. Uh, verse, uh, in Exodus 20.11, so in our commandment, it quotes the first half of the verse 3 here in Genesis, only substituting um, 
for um, seventh in place of Sabbath. So we can actually read those, and they're the, they're, they're the same minus that one word. So I think this is, in this writing, it's equating the two. We have the exact same passage in Exodus that's reflecting back to the creation. The only word being different is using Sabbath there where it used seventh in the creation story. Okay, so now we're going to move, now that we've discussed the mode of some, we're going to move on to the commands, which is back at the beginning of our passage in verse 8. So just to read that again, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So very short, succinct, right? A very simple command. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So we actually, since we're talking about the Sabbath, we want to understand where, where Sabbath was first introduced. We've already looked all the way back to Genesis and creation. He didn't use the word Sabbath, although, again, the, the, the verb he used was, is the same root word. Um, it actually is first used just slightly earlier in Exodus, um, once when, when the people have come out of uh, Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai. We basically have a bit of a, of a foreshadowing here. It's in the story of the manna, which, uh, which most of us are familiar with when God sent manna down from heaven. So I'm just going to, to, to it's a longer passage, but I'm just going to uh, read three verses of it that, that skip through just to show you here where Sabbath first was introduced. So this is in Exodus 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. Now verse 26. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. And then verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. So we see here, this is the first time that the word Sabbath has been introduced, and it's basically a precursor, not very long before at all, to the commandment he's going to give at Mount Sinai. This is also reflecting creation, because it's, he's talking about six days of gathering manna, and on the sixth day they have to gather enough for the seventh day, because on the seventh day, God isn't going to send manna for them to, to, to collect. Um, it's also, uh, we already mentioned it foreshadows the Ten Commandments, and it is described in this passage that we just read with both rest and holy, just like in creation and the Ten Commandments. So we have a theme going on through all of these. Every time we see something about the Sabbath or the seventh day and the rest, we, we always see about rest and we always see about it being holy, that the Lord made it holy. Okay, so now let's move to the, the explanation portion of, the, of, our, of our commandment. So this is the part sandwiched in the middle in, in verses 9 and 10. So the explanation of the, of the commandment is that six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So, first of all, here we see six days at the, at the beginning of this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. I want to point out that this is not talking about you have a six-day work week. This was written prior to, the, um, to an industrialized culture, so it doesn't have any reference to your job. Like today, we always think about oh, our work week. We six days of work, we always associate with work. For them, when this commandment and this time, six days was to do take care of all of your affairs, essentially. So whether that be working, taking care of, of things for your house, any sort of uh, activities that you needed to do, that was what it's referring to. Um, and then we see that uh, no one or nothing you are responsible for should do any work on the Sabbath. So this was his meaning for them at this time, was that everyone and everything that you were responsible for, your family, the visitor or the sojourner that was within your gates, your livestock, your, um, all the people that worked for you, your slaves, um, that none of them were supposed, were supposed to work. So we're going to, this, this is going to, uh, the, uh, the Lord talks, or Moses writes about the Sabbath multiple times in Exodus. So we already saw just before this where he kind of foreshadows it. But then going on, as, as I mentioned in kind of the, in, the, in the context at the beginning, after the commandments, we go into the book of the covenant, which is where, um, which is where God 
uh, reveals further explanation on practical application of, of, the, um, of the commandments. And there's a section on the Sabbath laws, which is actually in Exodus 23. Um, and so I'm just going to read verses 10 to 12 from that. For six years you shall sow your land and gather it in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So here he presents two Sabbaths. So there's a Sabbath year and there's a Sabbath day. So the Sabbath year is where you leave your fields and vineyards untended so that the poor um, can get food from them. And then the Sabbath day is where you don't work so that animals, slaves, and aliens can be refreshed. So we also see later in Moses' writings, actually we're going to jump outside the book of Exodus for just a minute, and in, uh, in, in Deuteronomy, this is the second time um, that Moses essentially brings forth to the people the Ten Commandments. So we have it initially when he, when he comes down and, and uh, when the Lord gives him the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai in Exodus, and then in Deuteronomy, um, towards, the, towards the end of his life, um, he actually repeats the Ten Commandments to the people. But if you read this, it's actually slightly different than what we have in Exodus, essentially because he expands on it a little bit and gives a little bit further explanation. So just the three verses that go around this specific, uh, the Sabbath commandment in Deuteronomy 5, um, 12 to 15, We have observed the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So here we've got the first part where he expands a little bit and explains so that your servants can rest as well and so that they can observe a Sabbath. And it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. So he explains, he expands on it to say that those working under you should also be able to rest both physically and spiritually and um, that we are to use this to remember the Lord redeeming them from slavery. Um, just like they have slaves, they were once slaves. So he wants them to, to, to remember that. And now we're going to talk about the Sabbath as a covenant sign. So this is one of the very key pieces to understand. This is something that makes the Sabbath very unique among the commandments. So a covenant sign um, is a visible seal and a reminder of covenant commitments. So we're going to read um, in, uh, and this is a little bit longer section, but I want to read um, these, these few verses because I think these are very, very important to hear. So this is also in Exodus. Um, this is actually where God's essentially expanding on like the theology of worship. And he talks about um, uh, the, this, the, the, the Sabbath as a covenant sign. So this is Exodus 31, 12 to 17. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest to holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So this covenant sign that he gives them, this visible seal or a reminder uh, of their covenant commitment with him is so that they will know it is the Lord who makes them holy. The context for actually when this, when this was written was when they were, um, 
um, was when they were uh, building or making the tabernacle preparations. And so there were lots of requirements to build a tabernacle. They were very busy. They worked a lot in building the tabernacle. And so God wanted to make sure that they knew that the Sabbath was still important. And even though they were doing God's work, that they shouldn't forsake the Sabbath. They shouldn't forsake a time of, of rest in him. Um, this is also, again, as a reflection of God's pattern in creation, as we see in the last verse of that passage, um, what he did in creation. Um, and just to point out why it's important about this being a covenant or a covenant sign is God did this in all, in, in most of his covenants. So you see in the covenant with Noah after the flood, God gives him a covenant sign of the rainbow. The rainbow is a reminder of his covenant promise to them that he will not flood the earth again like that. Um, and then in the covenant with Abraham, um, he actually uh, gives the, uh, the covenant sign of circumcision. So that covenant, he is setting them aside as his people. He's consecrating them. And the sign um, there to remember that is by being circumcised. So it's very important that we regularly see um, these, these signs of covenants. And for the Ten Commandments, as we see later in Exodus here that we just read, the Sabbath is the sign because when they have this day that they set apart and that they um, keep as a Sabbath holy to the Lord, other people in other nations, one for them, sorry, the Israel, it will remind them of their covenant. And then second, for other nations that see this, it reminds them that Israel um, serves the Lord their God. So I just want to make one side note that just goes a little bit beyond uh, um, um, our discussion of the Sabbath and looks a little bit at the Ten Commandments because it's in the verse right after this. So verse 18, right after what we just read about the Sabbath, right after God um, gives Moses this, this expanded um, information on the Sabbath, um, that's when he gives them the, the, uh, the tablets with the Ten Commandments. So it says, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And I just wanted to point this out because this is something that I didn't realize for a long time, not until um, not that long ago, is that the two tablets uh, of the Ten Commandments, I thought for the longest time growing up, being, even being an adult, that there were five commandments on each tablet. He needed two tablets to fit them all on. But actually, if we look um, at, uh, at what would be based on tradition at the time, this is actually two copies of the covenant because if we look at ancient Near Eastern practice during this time, um, it's this, they would always do duplicates of a covenant or a treaty, um, one copy for each party. And the Ten Commandments in and of itself is actually structured just like a treaty or a covenant would be structured between, um, uh, between uh, kings of that time or between two different parties of that time. So the Ten Commandments are, are structured just like that so that the people understand it in the context of their day and time. So normally there would be a treaty between a, uh, a superior king and one of his vassal kings and they would always, in the end, end up with two copies of it, and each would keep a copy of their covenant because they didn't have email at the time. Um, So here we see, well, why does Moses go down with two copies? Well, the reason is because the Lord is going to be in the the ark, um, and so that's where his presence will be. So they have to, Moses has to take one copy and place it in the Ark of the Covenant because that's where the Lord's presence will be. And so his, the Lord's copy of the, of the covenant treaty needs to go in there. And then at the same time, he has to take Israel's copy. And what they would traditionally do when they had treaties is they would put those at a place close to the Lord. So in the end, they both, both copies end up going in the Ark of the Covenant. But I just thought this was interesting because this was something I didn't know until not that long ago, that these are actually two copies to reflect how, how business would normally be done even in the secular world at that time, because that's what the people of the day would understand. All right, so now let's move forward a little bit. So we've, we've been studying all of this scripture in the Old Testament, understanding what it means to the people of the time. Um, and that time, the meaning of it is, is very strict. They are to cease work. Um, it talks about them being put to death and being cast out from their people. The language is very strong about the consequences of not obeying the Sabbath, of not keeping the Sabbath commandment. 
But we always need to look at how things apply as we move into the new covenant once, once Jesus has come. So we want to look at things related to Jesus and the Sabbath and what this reveals to us about how the Sabbath still applies to us today. So um, just as a note going into this, during the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish leaders greatly increased the Sabbath um, legislation. So they added lots of human law um, to the divine law. And what they were trying to do was make sure that no one got close to even breaking it. So they added all of these extra laws, um, probably some of them with good intention. But the problem was, is that it, it ended up taking the focus away Um, from the objective of the law, what what God had meant by the Sabbath commandment, and the focus became on the law itself because there were so many rules and stipulations about what they couldn't do, how far they could walk, what what was uh, considered labor, and so it was very, very rule-based, and it took their minds away from the original intention. So, coming to Jesus now that we are looking at it in the New Testament— Jesus performed seven miracles on the Sabbath, which I didn't realize it was that many. I knew he had done it, but I didn't realize until I was studying this that it was seven, seven times. Um, All of these were healing miracles that he performed on the Sabbath. Um, We're just going to quickly talk about two of them today um, because of the conversation that Jesus has at the time. Because some of these, he performs a miracle on the Sabbath, but there's no conversation with anyone about why, why that might be okay or not okay. So we're going to look at two of the, two of the passages where he, where he actually has some conversation. So one was the healing of the man with the shriveled hand. So if we look at uh, Mark 3, um, verses 3 through 5, will be the short section of that. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, um, so he said to them being uh, the other people that were present, so the Pharisees and everyone else that was there. So he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. So what we see here is that Jesus justifies by question, as Jesus did many times, asking questions. Um, he, he justifies um, by pointing out that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So we shouldn't be restrained from doing good and doing the work of the Lord on the Sabbath. The second, uh, the second example is the lame man, the healing of the lame man, which is in John chapter 5. And we'll just, it's a little bit longer passage, so we're only going to look at uh, a couple verses of it. So starting at verses 8 to 9 and then jumping to 16 to 17, we see that Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. And jumping down, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So again, Jesus justifies this work on the Sabbath that was considered forbidden um, by by the the, um, Jewish leaders at the time. He justifies it by pointing out that God is always at work. And so he is also um, at work just like his father, doing his father's work. So this is one example of how Jesus begins to transform what the view on the Sabbath is. Next, we want to look at a passage that's, that's titled The Lord of the Sabbath, which is um, from Mark. All right, so this, um, we actually, this is, this is what uh, Pedro read this morning in the scripture reading. So he read a few verses. We're just going to read, we're just going to reflect on a couple of them. And he said to them, so this is Jesus, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And sorry, I should have prefaced that just by saying this is again where he was talking about his disciples um, uh, taking, taking uh, food from the fields on the Sabbath. And he told the story of how David did the same thing and that that wasn't uh, considered, um, wasn't considered uh, wrong. And so he, he says again that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So here he's essentially turning on its head 
the legalistic Jewish tradition. The Jewish tradition would very much be that, that man was created for the Sabbath, that man, was, that man had to, uh, so to speak, serve the Sabbath. But Jesus says, no, it's not that way. The Sabbath was actually created for, for man. Um, and this would be because it's, it's for man, for humans, for us, a time to actually be able to rest, to rest physically, but also to rest and reflect, as we'll continue to see later, on the Lord and what the Lord has done for us. Um, and then finally, in that last verse there, Jesus states his, his authority over the Sabbath. So he essentially says, yes, the Sabbath is holy, but because I am the Lord, I am, I am and the Father am one, um, he has authority over even the Sabbath. And so what he says, he's establishing his, his authority for what he's saying, that that, um, that, that is truth, that, that man was not created for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man. So these are where we see Jesus and his examples of what is right on the Sabbath and his teaching on what is right on the Sabbath. So let's now move to how this applies to us in the Sabbath. So the first question with that would be the relevance of it. So is the Sabbath still relevant for us? We saw it in the Old Testament. We saw the laws and, and what you could not do. Um, and we see that it was a covenant sign. But how does this apply to us now? Well, it is still relevant, first of all, because God's character is unchanging. So therefore, the moral, um, the moral and spiritual value of his laws doesn't change. Even in New Testament times, when a lot of the old laws that had to be strictly obeyed before Jesus, even though those have gone away from a strictly legal pers- um, aspect, the spirit of the law and the moral value of the law is still there because the Lord is never changing. Also, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. So you see this in, uh, in, Matthew, in Matthew 5, which we aren't going to read that passage. But Jesus came to, uh, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it and uh, to give it its full meaning. So he didn't, uh, he, uh, he requires upholding the law. We actually see in that passage that he says that you should keep the law. And even more importantly, you should uphold the spirit of the law is what he says there. Um, therefore, as a result of that, he requires commitment to the underlying principles rather than obedience to the legal aspects of the law. So this is where we really start to get um, some, some good understanding of not just for the Sabbath, but for, for the, the commandments in general and the law, the law of Moses that the people were still referencing, that it is, they are still supposed to keep the law, but it's much more important to understand the spirit of the law and to keep with that, which is what Jesus did with his healings on the Sabbath. Was he not, was he not keeping, he normally kept with the Sabbath and didn't do, he didn't work, but when it was for the good, uh, for the, when it was good work and when he was doing the Lord's work, he did because that was in the spirit of the law. So we start to see that here and it's focused on these, under, in the, the spirit of the law means we're focused on these underlying principles, not the actual hard law itself. And the last uh, piece on the relevance of it is that we've started to discuss this, but God didn't intend the Sabbath to be purely for resting physically, rather for resting in him. This is an act of worship wherein we remember what God has done for us and we praise him for his grace and mercy in delivering us from the bondage of sin and giving us freedom in Christ, which we actually see this uh, in, in Galatians 5, we're talking about this. So, we don't just rest physically, although that is also a benefit of, of, a, of a, a Sabbath day of rest, but it's primarily for resting, or I want to go back to the word I used earlier, for ceasing, for ceasing what we're doing, for voluntarily stopping to reflect on God's goodness to us, to look to the Lord, just like when he gave them this commandment in Exodus that was reflecting back to the creation. For the people at that time, it was to remind them of what God had done for them in creation. It was also a reminder, this covenant, after coming out of, out of um, their slavery in Egypt, a reminder of God's goodness to them in redeeming them or delivering them. And so 
for us today, the Sabbath is still for that exact same intent or purpose in the spirit of that law is for us to remember what God has done for us in our daily lives, in our families, how if we know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and therefore we have salvation through him, we know that we see that God has, um, has redeemed us from that bondage of sin, just like God redeemed Israel from the bondage of slavery. So it's still relevant. That's the point. It's not applicable in the same way as it was in the Old Testament, but it's just as relevant for us as it was in the Old Testament. Um, But one other question many people often have is about timing. Okay, so the Sabbath is still a relevant uh, relevant, uh, commandment for us, but, but what exactly does this mean? And what, what is the timing of it? Well, Shabbat is when the Jews observe it on the seventh day of the week to this day, and, um, which is seventh day of the week being Saturday, um, although it actually starts from Friday night till Saturday night, but that's their Saturday. And this is because God rested on the seventh day after he finished creation. So because they are still following all of the Old Testament traditions um, and laws, they have kept it on the day it was always traditionally on the seventh day of the week, reflecting God's seventh day of creation. We see in the New Testament after uh, Jesus um, was, was crucified and rose from the dead and, and conquered that, that Christians began to regularly observe it on Sunday. You'll see actually in Revelation, um, it's referred to by John as the Lord's Day, which we often refer that as today. We talk about the Lord's Day and we usually mean that as Sunday, the first day of the week, because that was the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. And then we see in the New Testament that that is when the New Testament Christians began to meet. Um, in Acts, we see that they were gathering on the first day of the week um, in, uh, in fellowship and prayer and in the breaking of bread which we will be doing today. So, however, so we see that these are the two common practices today are either on the traditional seventh day of the week or the the oldest traditional, or now it's been traditional for nearly 2,000 years of meeting on the first day of the week for Christians. But Jesus's examples demonstrate that there really isn't a specific day of the week on which doing work is prohibited. Um, however, he, because we saw even on the Sabbath that he observed then, he did these healing works um, and justified, you know, other people doing work on the Sabbath, like his, his uh, disciples picking food. Um, so, however, he does teach on the importance of the spirit of the law, and he did himself, as you mentioned before, generally observe the legal, legal aspects of it himself. But what this essentially is showing us as far as timing, there, there isn't a day that it tells us it has to be on. It's not, it has to be on the seventh day of the week, Saturday. It's not, it has to be on the first day of the week, Sunday. Um, the, the intention behind this, the, the, the applicability of it, is that we are supposed to be taking a Sabbath rest. We are supposed to be taking on a regular basis, on a weekly basis is the, is the guideline, that we should be taking time away from all of our work, so that being our jobs, as well as all of the other things that we do, and we should be having that time to rest or cease, our, um, and so to rest in him, to rest in what the Lord has done for us, to reflect on his goodness, and to worship him in that. So the final piece, the, the, as I move towards closing here, is in eternal rest, and how this applies to us in an eternal rest. So, um, the Sabbath rest that we have been studying actually ultimately points forward to the, the rest that we will realize in heaven, where God will deliver his people from sin at the end of the age through his son, Jesus Christ, at the second coming. So, uh, I want to read where this, is, uh, where this is talked about in Hebrews. This is in Hebrews chapter 4. It actually goes on from, it actually really leads in before this, where it talks about um, a rest for God's people in the latter part of chapter 3. And then verse 4 goes all the way to, chapter, uh, to, to verse 13. But this is, it's a relatively complex passage. If you, if you were to go, go home and read this, which I would encourage you to do, it is, it, it's, it's a lot to break down. So we're not going to read all of it because it can get quickly confusing and you would want a lot of time to even try and break all of it down. So I'm just going to read uh, verses uh, 1 through the first part of 3 within Hebrews 4. 
Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should, be, should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So here this is, this is pointing forward to that ultimate rest that we will receive in heaven when we go uh, to be with our Lord Jesus after he returns to earth. Um, this necessitates a faith in Christ alone as the way of salvation, as we see here in verses 2 and 3 of what we just read. That is the only way to, that way, to, to salvation and to that ultimate rest in the Lord is um, in, through faith in Christ alone, not by any of our works, not by obeying the Sabbath commandments. It is by faith in Christ alone. Um, but once we have that faith in Christ, then we should desire, if we, if we truly have that, we should desire to be spending time with the Lord. So um, again, what we see here in this is that really the key is that we are to be resting in him. It's not legalistic about when it is supposed to be um, or about... Um, uh, uh, yeah, when, when it's supposed to be and exactly all the rules that we used to see. But what we see is that the key is that we are still today, as, as followers of Jesus, supposed to rest in God and, and reflect on what he has done for us and give praise to him, which is why we gather together once a week as a fellowship of believers, which there's many other scriptures talking about that, joining together in fellowship, but why we join here on, on our Sabbath rest on a Friday. See, here we observe it on a Friday because that fits with the, with the calendar here, and that is fine by what the scriptures teach us. But we, we join together to have a fellowship time um, of reflecting on what the Lord has done um, and his goodness to us and giving praise and glory to him. Thank you. I'm going to close this in prayer now. Lord God, I thank you for the word that we've heard this morning. I thank you for the truth of your word, for what we see the meaning of it to be in the Old Testament for Israel. I thank you for what you've revealed to us through Jesus Christ in the New Covenant and how the Sabbath applies to us today, that it is still relevant for us um, and that it is designed to cause us to reflect on everything you have done for us from creation to remembering Old Testament stories of deliverance from slavery to seeing in, in our lives deliverance from, um, from the evil one and deliverance from the sin that so entangles us. Lord, I pray that this message goes to the hearts of my brothers and sisters here and that we take home the truths of this and that we realize that our, we should still be having a rest in you and that that rest in you should be not just resting from work physically because we can still be distracted and be doing everything else on our day of rest, but our day of rest is resting in you and is focusing on you and remembering your goodness to us, Lord, and, most, and ultimately your goodness to us in your son, Jesus. We thank you for that provision for us, Lord. We can never thank you enough for your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.